Welcome, friends you wish you had. We are not those friends. I'm Roman Bodner, as usual, one of your hosts from Manhattan. Joining me, as always, is Jeff Marks from Florida. Say hi, Jeff. Roman, how are you doing? Jeff, you're wearing a Bucks hat right now, a Milwaukee Bucks hat. I am, I am. After their uh, Wildcat strike the other day, I, uh, I had to go out and get a Bucks hat. Right on. Can't argue with that. But I was happy to see the, the Heat beat them in five. I am from Miami. I am a big Heat fan. Uh, Heat are fun to watch. Let's, let, I'm going to wait for sports a little bit for a moment, only because how could, how could we possibly talk about sports during 9-11? And I say that, I say that it sounds facetious. But, when I to say be clear, it. it's not during 9 11. No, no, no. Yes, it's uh, the it's 19th the anniversary. 19th anniversary. Today I, I, is September 11th, 2020. Indeed. I said that a, a bit facetiously as a joke, but as a New Yorker. Uh, that's, 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 a, that's a pre 9 11 mentality, dude, right there. <laughs> I would like to, no, I would like to point out that 9 11 was uh, uh, heavy for me as a New Yorker. Um, but, um, but I did want to, I wanted to start the podcast. I, I thought we would talk about 9-11 briefly. We didn't need to talk about it too much, but 19 years is pretty crazy. Um, I think about, you know, being just a random number, but I think about being 12 in 1995 and thinking something that happened 19 years before that, you know, if when, when I was 12 years old, to hear that some shit happened in the 70s felt like a different world. So 19 years is not a small amount of time. It is pretty legit, especially for a lot of the young kids who don't remember 9-11. Um, I wanted to, um, I thought one way to talk about 9-11 is to talk about what everyone on Twitter is talking about, which is the insanity of Paul Krugman, who wrote... And I will just read this very quickly. It's 9-11. Hard to remember now how large the terrorist attack loomed in our national psyche. After all, in death toll, COVID-19 is already the equivalent of 69-11s. So I'm just going to say right off the bat that Krugman seemed to leave the uh, how large the terrorist attack loomed pretty quickly. But um, what everyone's really pissed about is his second tweet in his thread, which said, overall... Americans took 9-11 calmly, pretty calmly. Notably, there wasn't a mass outbreak of anti-Muslim sentiment and violence, which, it, which could all too easily have happened. And while GWB was a terrible president, to his credit, he tried to calm prejudice, not feed it. Daily behavior wasn't drastically affected. True, for a while, people were afraid to fly. My wife and I took a lovely trip to the US Virgin Islands a couple of months later because airfares and hotel rooms were so cheap, but life returned to normal fairly fast. Um, he talks for a while after that, a couple more tweets um, that um, are kind of useless. Um, I'm gonna read them and we, you can cut them later, Jeff, if they're boring. On the other hand, I groan whenever I see some pundit describing the aftermath as a time of national unity. On the contrary, Republicans began, ex began exploiting the atrocity almost immediately, trying to use it to cut capital gains taxes within 48 hours. And of course, the Bush team used 9-11 to take us into an unrelated and disastrous war. It's actually remarkable how many of the media promoted heroes of 9-11 ended up revealed as horrible people. Remember Bernie Kerik, 
and will Giuliani ever get off my TV screen? Almost two decades on, it's now clear that the real threat to America comes not from foreign terrorists, but from homegrown white supremacists. But you know what? That was true even in 2001. Um, I'm actually uh, glad I read the whole thing because- What, what is, contra that's controversial on Twitter? Well, so what's controversial about it is, I, I think that Krugman made a mistake. He wrote about five different topics in one Twitter thread on 9-11. And so I don't think anyone could get past. So look. Wait, what's the controversial part exactly? Well, so, yeah, yeah. So he said Bush was a terrible president, but tried to calm prejudice. That is true. Um, and, and Bush went to mosques and tried to say Islam is not responsible for this. Um, he talked about um, um, Republicans exploiting the atrocity. Uh, that's accurate. He talked about Bush um, taking us into war. That was accurate. He talked about Bernie Carrick and Giuliani being these false heroes that were pieces of crap. Is, but, is the controversial line, there wasn't a mass outbreak of anti-Muslim sentiment and violence, which could have all too easily happened. Yeah, yes. I guess that's controversial. I, I understand why that's controversial. I also remember... It's a weird way to start it. It's a I weird remember, way to start his, his, his thing, you know. Why would he... Yeah. I remember the New York Times right after 9-11 wrote a had an op-ed from a Indian Muslim. And he said, if 9-11 would have happened in my country, and he was praising George W. Bush for the day after 9-11 coming out and saying Islam wasn't to blame for this. He was saying, if this would have happened in my country, the president of India or the prime minister of India would have said Muslim or Islam was absolutely to blame to this. And there would have been 10,000 people, Muslims dead the next day. He was praising Bush's moderation, I guess. But I, that, that always stuck with me. But yeah, I... I I think that's, as an American, that's all in where you sit in terms of mass outbreak of anti-Muslim sentiment and violence. Well, I mean, th there's no doubt that there was an outbreak, a massive outbreak of anti-Muslim sentiment. Is it true that Bush... I think it's all in how you def define massive outbreak, though. Like I said, the guy from India was like, yeah, there would have been massacres in the streets. And we cer that certainly didn't happen here. But when you take into account American, the American standard of civil liberties and individual protection yes it was pretty horrible um, yeah yeah not certainly there weren't mass murders but there was obviously shitloads of racism spitting on people cursing at people uh, people being made to feel uncomfortable pe people getting death threats um and there was certainly a while george bush george w bush at the top of the food chain made some very public statements about how islam wasn't to blame the rest of his administration and his party were out there, you know, blame outwardly blaming Islam for it. And he certainly wasn't, he didn't have a daily rebuke of that behavior at all. Well, and then they basically started a crusade against Islam. You know, I mean, one of the lines I'll never forget is we start the war over there so that they fight us there and don't come to us. And the concept of that being that we, you know, we go to Afghanistan, we go to Iraq, we start beef over there, we start fighting over there. And then so the terrorist groups fight us over there and they, they, they take their focus away from our homeland. Well, I mean, certainly Krugman says that too. I mean, if he we're does. talking about Bush or we're talking about Krugman. But he does. Yeah, I, you know, but well, I understand, you know, I understand why that's 
to a Muslim American, that's an outrageous statement that Krugman makes. Um, but I think it's within the context of, you know, sort of vigorous American debate. I, I would expect people to be very annoyed by that statement, you know, I think, but I think the overall point that he's making about what a disastrous presidency George W. Bush had and the way it was exploited, 9-11 uh, was exploited by the Republican Party and the American power structure to do all kinds of things that are still affecting us today is, is also very well taken. I don't think that's as controversial. No doubt. I mean, his biggest mistake was starting his entire thread, which was mostly accurate, with just kind of a useless and inaccurate and stupid statement about there not being a mass outbreak of anti-Muslim sentiment, which is just total nonsense. It's true. I mean, I think he could have said violence, and he could have said... He, but there he, certainly said, was he said he sentiment, said sentiment and, and violence. And violence. Yes. Yeah. So I definitely think there certainly no. was in terms of sentiment, but I don't think there was in terms of violence when you compare us to the rest of the world. You know, I, I think one of the things is George W. Bush before our current president was so outside the bounds of a competent American president um, that it was terrifying and disgusting to watch. But I think what I remember people saying, and to some extent even saying myself in certain discussions was, in America, even George W. Bush, the day after 9-11, came out and said Islam isn't to blame. Now, of course, it was sort of like with a wink and a nod, but for all those people now who talk about what the president says has power and meaning and every little word that comes out of his mouth, even George W. Bush and those Republican stooges knew they had to make some overture to sort of American... Um, inclusiveness and uh, multiculturalism, multiculturalism, while they were, like you said, planning a crusade in the Middle East. Um, so like on paper, they kind of said, so, he kind of said some of the right things. And that used to be the boundary. And now you have Trump that's like those yeah. dirty Muslims in those shithole countries. Um, and that's been yeah. blown out of the water. Well, I mean, You don't get to Trump yeah. without, to me, you don't get to Trump without W, but you know, that used to be the boundary and then Trump blew through it. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you know, there are a million stories of Muslims in America dealing with horrible stuff at the worst murder, at the least just daily harassment. Um, and I think you made a great point when you when you said, you know, Bush did his thing. Bush went to a mosque and and, and tried to say Islam is not responsible for this. But that was not true of the Republican hierarchy. Definitely not at the state level. Definitely not on places like Fox News definitely not uh, with pundits and with you know some senators and congress people for sure do you remember do you remember i don't know who coined this whether it was the bush administration or fox news or probably both of them because they're working together islamo fascism it was like yeah. they're islamic but they're like nazis and we have yeah. to fight them because they're just and i remember a couple statements where condi rice was like that's just what hitler would do you know it's like, yeah. oh my god you know so yeah i mean it was it was dis disgusting and despicable, and I still am of a mind that for as terrible as Trump is, that George W. Bush was like the most disastrous president of the last hundred years. Yeah, uh, and Trump I, I has given him a run for his money, for sure. Um, he is. And, he and is. I guess we survived Bush, which I think, you know, there were times where it didn't seem like we would, where he would become the dictator. So, you know, look, in retrospect, that always makes these guys seem a little more innocent or... Uh, not as dangerous as they felt at the time. Yeah, which is total bullshit. Bush was 
pretty fucking horrible. But I mean, can yeah. I just say I do love this part? And I, I, if I would have seen this, I would have retweeted it myself. On the contrary, Republicans began exploiting the atrocity almost immediately, trying to use it to cut capital gains taxes within 48 hours. And of course, the Bush team used 9-11 to take us into an unrelated war, unrelated and disastrous war. Uh, it's actually remarkable how many of the media promoted heroes of 9-11 ended up revealed to be horrible people, et cetera, et cetera, which I think is so on the money. It's so forgotten now. Um, after that disastrous presidency, it's like all those people were absolved by Obama and the Democrats. I, it still sticks in my craw to this day uh, why that happened. And, um, you know, and it got us Trump. So good move. Let's not have any accountability or reform after after that shit show. Good move. So uh, Paul Krugman worded his uh, worded his kind of uh, 9-11 thread very poorly and said some really stupid shit and then also said some really smart shit. And that's Twitter, I guess. I think it is interesting, though, how in, you know, coming up on this Trump reelection that people forget how scary and incompetent and dangerous George W. Bush was. And I feel like every revelation about Trump and COVID has a mirror with Bush and 9-11 and uh, his relationship with the Saudi royal family and WMD and all the fake pretense for everything they did for incompetence to start with, and then fake pretense for everything they did. The Abu Ghraib pictures and the torture and the um, and the lying about WMD, which was revealed, and how they just kept changing the story and so obvious that they were lying and. Bush could barely answer a question about it um, in a competent way. And it was terribly depressing. Uh, it was disgusting to think that he could get reelected. Um, and there he was, he got reelected. Uh, he got three, I think a couple, two, three million more votes than John Kerry, even though results were very close in the electoral college. And here, here we go again, you know, with people just being, it's impossible that Trump is going to get reelected. And I'm like, just look back to 2004. It's not impossible. These are the same voters. You know, the, the media atmosphere is different for sure. Um, you know, the candidates were similar. You had sort of an insurgent progressive Democrat at the beginning of the race, Howard Dean, who was drummed out by the Democratic establishment for John Kerry, a candidate it was like a lot of Democrats, ah, eminently ah, exactly. the Dean scream. Um, and it, ironically from Vermont, just like Bernie. Um, and, uh, you know, he was drummed out by the Democratic establishment. They put up a candidate who seemed, you know, certainly competent and who was an actual war hero, which was incredible. And the same voters who pretty much love Trump now love George W. Bush, despite all the evidence to the contrary of what a danger he was how incompetent he was and that he really pushed the country, you know, to the brink of a serious disaster uh, that, you know, it was doubtful whether we would ever recover uh, from it. And so you're basically, here we go again. yeah, here we go again. So you're basically sort of connecting the absolute shit show in the, the crusades in Iraq and how, no one could have, a lot of people didn't think Bush could possibly win in 2004 after making 
basically, you know, I, I, I honestly starting was, starting with the prior, you know, you've got a two-term incumbent president with you know a lot of a lot of issues you could take with them, but hyper competent on a lot of things. You know, they're going out the door and they're like, listen, they're briefing all the Bush people. Yeah. There's this terror group. They're very dangerous. They've already struck at us once at the World Trade Center. They're going to do it again. They're coming. You know, from the president up and down his administration, they're all warning the Bush people. Uh, Bush takes over. His national security infrastructure totally ignores it. Um, and, of course, 9-11 happens. Very similar to me with COVID, you know, going out of the, in the Obama administration, they have a whole pandemic response in place. Uh, they brief them on it. They tell them this is really serious. You know, this sort of the reality of this threat emerged really in the last, you know, four years of our presidency. We have all these things in place to deal with it, stay on top of it. Of course, they totally ignore it. Um, you know, it, it, to so what a you lot of people, 9-11 was a surprise, except for the people, you know, who briefed the president <laughs> months before it happened and said Al-Qaeda determined to attack the United States. Yeah. You know, there was all this proof, just like with COVID, like we're seeing now, where the alarm bells were going off, where there was time to do something, uh, you know, not to stop it. It wasn't the same event as 9-11, but to have a much more intelligent um, and well thought out and proactive response. Of course, you know, the, the, the moronic Republican administration that we have now behaved just like the moronic Republican administration we had then. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting comparison. I was a freshman in college when 9-11 happened, and um, my father was a construction worker. He was a project manager, civil engineer. Um, he had been a block away from uh, the World Trade Center during the first attack. I don't remember the exact date, but it was like 92. Um, so he got evacuated after that explosion in the car park at the bottom of the World Trade Center. Mm. At 9-11, um, you know, 9-11 for me, I didn't lose anyone close to me. But I, I knew my dad had a project going on in the World Trade Center. I knew that he wasn't there often. But, you know, but I was trying to reach him and make sure that he wasn't there that day. Um, he ended up being okay. It took a really long time to reach him because every, I, I'll never forget every cell phone, you make 20 calls and 19 of them don't go through because all of the uh, cell phone towers, everything was being used by everyone on that day. So it was impossible to get a call through. Um, a friend of mine who was in New York who was having more trouble getting through texted me and tried to get me to gave me phone numbers for his dad and his mom to see if they were still alive. Fortunately, they were. Um, um, it touched my life in terms of death. It touched my life in certain ways, like not nothing incredibly close. My uh, one of my teachers, his wife died sadly. Um, actually, going back to my father the people at the construction site that they were working on, they all died and actually said something harrowing on a phone call because my father and some of his colleagues called them and said, are you okay? And they said, yeah, we're fine. We're not in the building that got hit. So obviously that turned out terribly. Um, another friend of mine, his father was a fireman who, who survived, um, but was played the bagpipe for funerals for the NYFD and basically had a gig three times a day for the next month. Um, I mention all that 
And I hate dwelling on 9-11 as someone who grew up in New York. I hate saying all this shit. Uh, I hate thinking about it, but I mention it because um, not since then has coronavirus, has something been this affecting as coronavirus, you know? When coronavirus first started, I was in Manhattan. Things got heavy real quick. My friend's mother died. My other friend's stepfather died. Um, fortunately, no one in my family got sick. Another friend of mine's coworker at the New York Public Schools died. Um, anyway, um, so it's an interesting connection that you're making. I mean, I get what you're saying about it politically, but also just even personally. Um, it's been a very long time since something happened in, in, in New York where if you, if it didn't kill someone that you love, it killed someone that your friend loves. And I guess I don't really have a punchline. It's just, um, I, 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 I find when you first started talking about that connection, when you first started saying, you know, the Bush administration got this information, didn't do much, this happened, and then they turned it into a shit show, uh, referring to 9-11 and the Iraq war. And then when you mentioned, again, Obama having a pandemic response team that the new Republican administration, Trump, didn't do shit about, and then that led to an even further shit show. Um, you know, at first I wasn't buying it when you were saying it, but the more I think about it, the more I realize you know, these are, these, are, these are the two mass casualty events of my life. And it's a shit show. I, well, I'm, just, I'm just getting emotional now. Fuck these people. What do you think about the Bob Woodward thing now where Trump in February was saying uh, it's worse than the flu and then ended up making all of his supporters and all the QAnon people say it's just the flu? I, you know, I, I, since we're on this theme, I, I think it's the equivalent of there being no WMDs in Iraq, you know, like, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, yeah. he obviously knew what was going on. I think it's amazing that as a side note, he couldn't sit for a deposition for Robert Mueller, but he could give 20 hours of interviews on tape to Bob Woodward. You know, it's just incredible. It's what? Like, it makes no sense. So, uh, very, but, yeah. What is that? What, what? 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 Why is he talking to Woodward? Maybe I'm an idiot, but it just boggles my my mind why he's I, talking to Woodward this I, way. I heard someone, and you know, I'll give give the uh, I'll give the caveat of I hate the psychological, psychiatric, or psychological analysis of Trump, and then I'll dive into one. Yeah, but someone was writing about how it's a perfect syndrome of narcissistic personality disorder. You think you can just get someone and talk to them, and you'll win them over. You'll convince them, yeah. and and the way you'll convince them is to be super candid with them, because in your mind you must be right, you must be loved. Uh, it's like an obsession. Um, but I I'm probably I'm just pulling this out of my ass a little bit. I think there was a Woodward book that came out in like 2000. For you know, with interviews from the whole Bush administration exposing how incompetent they were, and there were quotes that this wasn't from a Woodward book, um, but it was you know they had this term, uh, you know, you're we're we're not in the you're in the reality based universe, you know, which was like the modern, which was the 2000 you know three equivalent of um, alternative facts, you know, so the so the, the gross incompetence was was on display, but. Woodward did Bush at War in 2002. Uh, he did Plan of Attack in 2004. Both were about Bush and 9-11 and the wars. 
And then, and then he did State of Denial, Bush at War, Part Three in 2006, again about the war. So he wrote, and then he wrote The War Within, A Secret White House History um, in 2008. So he had four books during, well, Bush had eight years. So I'm sure he'll find another couple books if Trump remains in office. And, and I think the one lesson from the Bush presidency that I had hoped America had learned is that this, for all the problems that many of us have with, you know, presidential administrations and the hypocrisy and the dirty dealing and the special interests that they seem to work for, that Republican or Democrat, you at least want someone that is competent and who can read and who can process information in that job for the moment when a 9-11 happens or for the moment when uh, a COVID pandemic breaks out. Because that's the moment when really the president, you know, the rest of it is all posturing until something like that happens. And that is what the office of the presidency is for. There's a front line about Clinton's second term and they talk about the 2000 millennium plot and they're interviewing a lot of people from his cabinet and Clinton was so concerned about that and, and foiling that, that he would have a meeting with his cabinet and his senior you know, national security advisors every day. And he would look at them one by one and say, what did you do today to prevent this from happening? Because there was all this intelligence about it and it seemed like it was going to happen. And it just shows you that for all the sort of crooked neoliberal shit that Bill Clinton did, it's like he understood his role was to foil a terrorist attack. Like there's no one else who has that job except for the president. The FBI reports to the president, the CIA reports to the president, the national security advisor reports to the president. And like, and he's the decision maker at the top to do these things. And then, so you compare that to Clinton, who was, you know, working around the clock, haranguing his people to get to the bottom of this to, you know, to pre 2001, where the Bush administration was just asleep at the wheel. 9-11 happens and it's like Bush can't even be held responsible for it. You know, we've just got to rally behind this moron who, in my opinion, behaved in a way that he should have been impeached, you know, maybe just the, for letting it happen. Like, you're the guy. Maybe the one thing we're missing a little bit, though, when we talk about that, uh, when you were talking about, like, it was a kind of a, I forget the term you used, but um, a bit of an accident that they found these guys at the border. It seems to me, though, that some of that, you know, I put this in the context of over-policing to a certain extent, racial profiling and things of that nature, uh, is a bit of a digression. It's, it's a bit getting deeper and more complex into all this stuff, but it's really, at the end of the day, like, we should stop bombing foreign countries rather than continuing to bomb foreign countries and then pulling over every single brown person we see. Well, I think that's a little bit of a different discussion. I, I, I don't, I think that's, that's a whole other, like, that's a whole other topic. And yeah, I obviously, well, we invite, just when you, we when you said the, he, we invite the animus of the people who are out there trying to attack us. It's not like it's just happening in a bubble and they're evil and we're the good guys. And like, you know, again, thinking about Bush and 9-11 and the invasion of Iraq, they don't hate us for our freedoms. But at the same time, if you're people on the ground in some other country or you intercept some intelligence that said these guys are trying to sneak a bomb over the border and you're the president of the United States, I don't care if you're President Bernie Sanders or you're President Donald Trump, you're the guy whose job it is, is to stop that. Like, that's your job. That's your constitutional responsibility, not to let Americans get killed. 
Now, I don't know, maybe there's a crazy world where Bush could have come on TV and said, we deserve this and I let it happen because it's the only way Americans will learn a lesson that we can't be an empire. And I know, that's like a whole other discussion, you know, but all things being equal, it would have been a good idea if their hair would have been on fire in the West Wing, you know, starting in the summer of 2001, and they would have listened to their intelligence, and they would have listened to the previous administration, and those planes wouldn't have flown into those buildings and into the Pentagon and killed all those people. Well, but what do you think about that? Am I wrong? Or am I, is it, am I just, you know, am I excusing American imperialism? No, I think you're right. I, I, I think this is not an American imperialism episode because otherwise we'll force people to listen to three hours. No, I, I, I think your uh, uh, answer to that question is right on. Okay, well, uh, let's on. lighten it up. Let's lighten it up. Let's yeah. Let's let's lighten it up for a moment. Let's do the uh, NBA playoffs, Major League it's, Baseball. It's the friends you wish you had. Awkward transition to sports. Sports. People have been talking about this, kind of stuck in my head a little bit. The booing at the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, uh, Houston. <laughs> I'm forgetting the name of the team. The Texans. There you go. You can leave that in. Uh, so, so we were discussing this last night, you and me, how it went down. And how it went down was... They had the, uh, the national anthem. They also played what I'm seeing in various news reports as being called the Black National Anthem, although I have no, I, I have no uh, experience with this song. Oh, brother. I'm well, cut this out, too. Why? Tell me about it. <laughs> Lift every voice and sing. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know anything about that. Next, uh, you're going to tell me you don't know what Juneteenth is, dude. Well... We we had a, we actually had a podcast where we discussed that. <laughs> um, anyway, you were yes. The NFL is no doing so the national anthem and the NFL came back. They had they had two women of color singing uh, singing the songs. One of them had a Breonna Taylor shirt. The other one had a George Floyd shirt. Um, the Houston Texans decided not to come outside for the for the national anthem. Um, the Chiefs were uh, on the field. It seemed that from the from the television coverage that only one chief kneeled um, and held a fist up in the air, and his teammates on either side of him put their hands on his shoulders, sort of in solidarity and support of him. Um, that that stuff was all sort of just you know interesting to see how it went down, how the NFL handled it, how the players handled it, um, what everyone pretty much ended up talking about though was that all the players decided that after the national anthem was over um they would all go to midfield and lock arms in a moment of silence it seemed for racial justice which was uh booed by the fans in kansas city now i've read articles about it i've said some fans booed etc cetera, etc cetera. but watching it on tv it was a very audible boo it it, it took over the stadium and many players spoke on it afterwards and, and discussed how, quite frankly, devastating it was to them to hear that. Twitter. Were you surprised at the booing, I guess? I, I, I don't know if I, I didn't watch it in real time. I got to say I, I was. I after the fact. I was surprised by it. I was surprised by it. Um, you know, I, I think the thing to me is like, 
it's just typical NFL. It's like if you're going to do that stuff, don't embarrass your league in the statement you're trying to make on national television by having audio of the fans when you don't know what the response is going to be. Like, produce it better. All right, well. So the interesting thing to me was the statement that the Dolphins made as a team. Did you see that? I, I love that. This attempt to unify only creates more divide. So we'll skip this song and dance, and as a team, we'll stay inside. We need changed hearts, not just a response to pressure. Enough. No more fluff and empty gestures. We need owners with influence in pockets bigger than ours to call up officials and flex political power. And I really like that. I, I you know, yeah. it's always the, the show of patriotism at the beginning of any NFL game is always feels out of place to me when I'm, I'm a big sports fan. I, I'm not a big fan of, you know, ridiculous displays of patriotism at the beginning of sport, sporting events. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like, you know, these, this is a job and the players are paid very well for it and they get to compete on the field. Um, I don't know why need, they need as part of their job to stand for the national anthem. And if they choose not to stand for it, they get booed and blackballed from their job. It's ridiculous. Well, they get, they get money from the uh, military. Well, the league does now. The I don't know does, if that yeah. filter, you know, and I'm sure in some way the ownership would tell you that filters to the players, but, you know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the reality is, is that, you know, there's nothing, you know, I think the American, a lot of the American general public has showed that there is no act of civil disobedience that will be acceptable to a lot of people and, you know, their fellow citizens in the United States. And they're, I think they're right. I, I, I love the line, we need owners with influence and pockets bigger than ours to call up officials and flex political power. I'm sure every NFL owner can get Donald Trump on the phone. Like that is a white, old, male, predominantly Republican billionaire club. You know right. what I mean? It really just, yeah. It, no, it yeah. speaks to the Chris Rock line. Shaquille O'Neal is rich. The man who signs his check is wealthy. So, you know, now will NFL owners do that? And, you know, I don't know. We'll see. But in the meantime, I don't think it does any good for NFL players to partner with the league, which is owned by guys who are hostile to the stand these players are trying to take to participate in some basically PR stunt slash, you know, campaign to make people feel like the NFL is really getting involved to try and, you know, put an end to systematic racism or educate Americans about, you know, America's brutal racial historical past. So, um, so I like that move from the Dolphins. I liked it. I liked it too, Jeff. And uh, bet the over on the Dolphins. No, <laughs> we'll see. I don't know if the Dolphins can have a good year, but well, I so think this bodes well for them as a team. We've had a very serious episode. We've talked about a lot about a lot of very important, very serious stuff. So I'm going to do like a minute. Let's do a minute on something just more entertaining. Stanton uh, and Judge coming back? No, fuck baseball. I mean, I <laughs> love baseball, but no. No, no, no. I heard no. that today. It came across the, the ticker. What we, I, Only I, those I, two guys could be out half of a 60-game season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's becoming a bit of a, a problem at this point. No, but um, I guess – Who's, who's winning the NBA Finals? We got the Heat playing well. Um, Bucks are out. We got... Game seven tonight. 
Raptors game. Celtics. I think it's on right now. Tip off was at nine. Raptors Celtics tonight, and then we've got what seems to be inevitable, although not yet set in stone, uh, Clippers Lakers. So who who are you calling for the who, the championship right now? I, that Clippers Lakers series is going to be a war. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I think it's going to be close. You think that's going to be? The, you think that's the championship? Western Conference Finals. You know, I, I it it reminds me a lot of the. You don't want to say it because you're a Heat fan. No, I'm. You know, I'm torn. I'm such a LeBron fan. You know, so if you would have told me that LeBron and the Heat were going to square off, I, I'm really torn. It's I'm going to come, but I kind of can't lose in that scenario. Well, just I for think, for our viewers, you uh, grew up in Miami area. We're a huge Miami fan. Also lived for a long time in L.A. While uh, the Lakers were really good with Kobe and Shaq. Do you want to give people my social security number too, dude? While you're at it. L.A. and Miami, is that a tether? So, no, you got reasons to love not only LeBron, but also to love LeBron in L.A. Yes, living in L.A. was – those people are – it's kind of like – all I can describe it as is like the energy around the Lakers is like the energy around the Yankees. It's just the whole city is so yeah. attuned to it. It's so much fun. Um, when I was there, uh, it was – Chick Hearn was still alive. Rest in peace, Chick Hearn. He was the greatest NBA game caller there ever was used to do the simulcast to the tv and the radio it was fantastic love chick hearn well um, I, had, I had more of albert which is kind of fun but yeah i i think the heat are coming out of the east and i think this could be this reminds me of what was it oh four oh five when the lakers were heavily favored against the pistons and the pistons figured out a way to steal it it's such a weird circumstance, I think. And I think whoever gets over the hump in that series in the West is going to be riding so high and be such a huge favorite. And the Heat are such a sort of sneaky good team with all kinds of weird pieces that they could, they could, they could steal it. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you know, the, obviously if I had to bet, the odds would be on either the Clippers or the Lakers. And I kind of like the Lakers. I Somehow I think that Davis will be the difference maker. And LeBron seems to have – I think he has a lot of gas in the tank. Bubble basketball is agreeing with his 35-year-old body, I think, not having to travel mm-hmm. and you just play every other day. But we'll see. It's going to be a war. Like, you know, it, I can't really ever remember where LeBron got the best of Kawhi. They usually kind of play to a draw, and we'll see. Well, a lot of people what are saying. Think? What do you think, dude? These are just dumb sports opinions. No one's an expert. Well, bubble basketball, as you know, common refrain right now. Bubble basketball is given. Bubble basketball is given uh, some of the best basketball games in years. You cannot predict a bubble basketball game. And it's every um, night. It's it's fantastic. There's no home crowd. You know, you've had the silly moments of players turning to the crowd just out of instinct and yelling and screaming, accidentally screaming at the babies. In the well, baby. unlike the NFL, the NBA knows how to put on a good show for television yeah. when there's no fans. No doubt. No state. doubt. Um, it's, uh, it's a jumble for me. It's a jumble. Like, I don't want to root against Kawhi Leonard because I just, you know, he's such a great basketball player and I, I love Doc Rivers. Um, 
Paul George has his shooting problems, but he's great at defense. And I love Paul Beverly. I love Paul Beverly. I just Patrick think Beverly. Patrick Beverly, excuse me. Um, his brother you know, Paul. Yeah. So I, I just like I not really. every, I don't know what his brother. <laughs> no, but like I remember I've been watching, you know, when I ever saw Patrick Beverly over the past few years, I was always like, put a star on his team and they're gonna win a championship because he's that perfect defensive mess with your head role player. And so, you know, when we first heard that Kawhi and Paul George were going over there, I said with Doc Rivers and Paul and and Patrick Beverly, that's that's it. That's over. That was my opinion. Um, Anthony Davis, again, just a freak of a freak of nature. He can do anything on the basketball court. So you just can't count him out. I'll tell you the guy, to me, it's all going to be even, and goddamn Lou Williams for the Clippers is going to be the difference maker. Yeah, I mean. Underpaid, underappreciated, like Lou Williams, goddamn it, he's going to win that series for the Clippers. He's going to have two games where he just goes crazy. He very well might. half in the fourth quarter, hits like five threes, and it's going to be like, goddamn Lou Williams. That's why, that's why I like the Clippers. You know, they got George, and they got Kawhi, and then they have some really legit role players, and they have a great coach. I'll always love Doc Rivers. You know, um, but, man, LeBron and Anthony Davis, I mean, LeBron has never played with someone as good as Anthony Davis. And so it's just, well. Yeah, easy there. He played with Dwayne Wade. Easy. I hear you. Easy. I hear you. I, I understand that sentiment. A little, a little, maybe, maybe a, a year or two earlier. But, no, Wade was still sick. There's no doubt about that, but he certainly wasn't in his prime. Um, sadly, it's true. Sad. I guess I'd have to agree with that. Sadly, but so you know, so, you very, know very I take I'm very I take very uh, easily offended about Dwayne Wade comments. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I I love Wade. Wade was just silky smooth, man. I I could when he took a jump shot, especially when he was in his mid twenties, his whole body looked like it was just it was like a home run swing when he, every time you took a jump shot, it was just. <laughs> perfect everyone, the way he did it everyone always is like kobe's the jordan impersonator but to me like young Dwayne wade that 2006 finals that was like the closest thing to a jordan impersonation 40 yeah. a night i can see to that the line 10 15 times a game yeah i can see that, that. just just knocking down that mid-range jump shot you know just bam oh. bam bam just like that was that was the jordan impersonation i used to love watching him take a jump shot he might have been my favorite jump shot for a long time but uh, but um, also i'll tell you assuming they don't lose tonight the core four of tatum uh jalen brown yeah marcus smart and kemba walker they really are a sort of like a really gutsy foursome and smarts really emerged in the series making huge shots and huge plays so they could be tough but i think the heat will beat them i I think they won't be able to stop bam and the three-point shooting is going to be the difference maker and they have that you know they have jimmy butler they have that kind of steely guy who can you know who can have a huge game or two get you 40 just you know when the whole team isn't doing shit so i think they'll they'll get past whoever wins tonight I'm a little up in the air on that. You know, I part of me is saying that the Raptors were always underestimated. And then after Kawhi left, they were underestimated even more. Um, and I'm part of me is saying, and the, it, you know, just general instinct. It could be total bullshit. But just, you know, 
I'm not sure if the Celtics Raptors going to seven is so much about the Celtics not being that good as much as it is about the Raptors being a really good fucking team. Depending on, you know, if Kawhi or LeBron go to the finals, either one of those guys, if they win, they will be the first player in NBA history to win three titles with three different teams. To win a title with three different teams, not win three titles. That would be amazing if they won three titles with three different teams. (laughs) But uh, either one of them could be the first to do that, which is pretty incredible. I'd love to, you know, it'd be fun to see. But there will be a game six, and I do wonder if that's the little bit of the Clippers' Achilles heel. They do seem to kind of sleepwalk in games. You know, they're not like this team that's, you know, they haven't won anything yet. They're still kind of feeling, they're still learning it in the process. They're still feeling it out. You know, Kawhi's amazing, but a little banged up. You know what I mean? You wonder sometimes Paul George is, yeah, you know, can be spotty, and you know, it's not like those spotty, guys have spotty all on offense, but on defense, he's pretty solid. You know? Yeah, no, totally, and they really have no one that can handle AD, so it's a it's a big mismatch. And then the you know, and now and now that I mean, Rondo was spectacular in Game Three against the Rondo's the Rockets. A, like he's goddamn, a huge, that guy's an enigma. He's a huge story to me, man. I don't know. He's a huge story to me. Yeah, it, like his defense is great, and he's just all of a sudden he's hitting some jump shots. Okay, okay. And he had that, you know, really nice run that ended when when DeMarcus Cousins got hurt, but he, Boogie, and AD really had something going in New Orleans, and it kind of fell apart. So, you know, he has some – some chemistry with AD, so it could could be interesting. But it, you know that 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 series is going to be a war. It's a shame that that series won't be played, you know, home and home in the Staples Center, in front of the fans. It just would have been crazy. Um, yeah, it it is sad. But you know, I, man, I love Rondo. I, you know, he's had a lot of uh, criticism over the years, and even from, you know, KG back when he was with the Celtics, they always like. People gave him shit, but he is just – to me, he is – he's always been like Ron Artest point guard. I know Ron Artest was better on offense than Rondo by a long shot, but um, Ron Artest was like small forward point guard Rondo. They're just like they're, – they, they're stout. They're built. They're amazing at defense. They can, they can pick the ball from you really easily. Clearly, Ron Artest was better at offense in his prime, but um, – but the, just kind of the foundation of their game, I always looked at them the same way. Totally, totally. I mean, he just came into that Celt, you know, that big three Celtics team as a rookie. Perfect. And timing. just didn't take any shit from any of those guys. Yeah. Was just a brilliant yeah. player. And then, you know, I think a, a few years later, he was the best player on that team, even though he took still took a lot of shit from yeah. Pierce and, and Garnett. You know, he was he had sort of emerged as the best player on that team. He's again one of those guys. After he he after he got that first kind of bad knee injury, he just kind of wasn't the same. But also, I feel like you know the situation really changed. You know, Garnett and Pierce were gone, and the Celtics didn't really seem like they wanted to give him a big contract. And it just seemed like he slept walk through a few seasons, kind of with injuries and weird stuff and bounced around. And he's just an enigma in the league. I feel like a little bit, but you know, guys love him. You know. I mean, for the dude who uh, wasn't a team player, he had, what, 
third year in the season, 8.2 assists, then 9.8, then 11.2, then 11.7, then 11.1. It's true, but you would watch him and it felt like he was chasing assists a little bit. It was a little weird. You know, he used to pass up layups to, you know, kick the ball to guys. It was, it was strange. Yeah. I mean, well, but, but everyone always said he wasn't good at shooting. So, you know. I do remember you saying that reminds me of something I heard about Stefan Marbury back in the day where they said, uh, they said Stefan Marbury gets eight assists a game and he passes the ball nine times a game. <laughs> yeah. but, but, you know, but, but also, I mean, you know, playoff Rondo is a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, he's a real, it's the, he's a real thing. Like it's if he, incredible. If, no, if he can keep so, it up to the Lakers, the Lakers look good, man. Yeah. I love, I love watching Rondo at his, at his, at, at his height. I love it. It would be... Uh, He's one of my favorite. I'm a New Yorker, man. I love those gritty players. I love a player who can strip the ball from you. I don't know why I love that more than anything. You know, just... Uh, it'll be... Yeah, it'll be... I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm... Some, I'm, I'm in, you know, I got to watch the highlights from the Nuggets-Clippers game tonight. And, you know, I'm, I'm impressed a little bit that the Nuggets were able to take it to six. I'm yeah, very impressed. I, I think I texted you after the first Nuggets Clippers game and I said, this is going in four and I've never been more wrong in my life. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, I don't know. The Nuggets, they're, they have a good team. They're legit. I think Michael Porter Jr. was like the steal of the last draft. He could be incredible. Another year or two, he could be, you know, he's a phenomenal he's elite really top good. five yeah. player. So hopefully he'll develop that way. I, as someone who, Lived in Colorado for a while. You know, I like the new Jay. I'd like to see them uh, push yeah. it to seven. I'm, you know, I was a fan, despite yeah. that terrible logo of the two pickaxes. <laughs> Possibly <laughs> right. the worst so, logo in the NBA. You're, uh, you're betting your house on this, who's winning the championship. You're not literally betting your house. <laughs> uh uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a prognosticator guy. Lakers will win this final in, in five or six games. They'll beat they'll beat the Clippers. It might go to seven. AD is just, you know, I don't know. He's, I think the big question for the Lakers is this is before the season, I feel like AD has never played in a game that mattered for as good as he is. And right now all the games matter, and he's really performing at a high level and rising to the to the challenge. And I think that continues, and, you know, he's unstoppable. And, know, you know, LeBron with, will be LeBron, but wow, Anthony Davis is just a freak. He's incredible. I'm with you on that. I agree. It, it, only if Rondo keeps playing, because Rondo is the Lakers' Patrick Beverly. Put a stake in it. Lakers in six, friends you wish you had, prognostication. And that is friends you wish you had. Jeff. Thanks for joining me again. Say, say goodbye to our loyal listeners. Our loyal listeners out there, tell your friends, subscribe, spread the word. The legions, the friends you wish you had legions are out there. <laughs> this is Roman. Thanks for joining us. Good night. Good night.